0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care
2: This episode deals with matters that some listeners may find troubling. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts, please talk with someone you trust. You can access information about 24-hour crisis centers in your community and across Canada at suicideprevention.ca. And in the United States, you can reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or via suicidepreventionlifeline.org to chat with someone online. You matter. We need you here. Please take care of yourself and reach out if you need help. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting youth empowerment and support services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, Build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support yes by visiting YESS.org. Hi, this is Mark Lee Morrison from the podcast Low Profile. I live in Olympia, Washington with my wife and two daughters, and I support Vishkana's creative control on Patreon because I appreciate his journalistic integrity. Bish talks with a lot of artists I care about, and he never asks any boring questions. I love hearing his interviews, and as a Patreon supporter, I get to hear even more of them. If you enjoy Creative Control too, I implore you to join me as a sustaining contributor. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. Joaquin Lee is an award-winning filmmaker, musician, actor, visual artist, and broadcaster based in Toronto, Ontario. Originally from British Columbia, Lee first gained notice for her role in the band Bob's Your Uncle and then went on to work as an on-air personality and producer for Canada's music channel Much Music before taking on a similar role at CBC Radio where she hosted the show Definitely Not the Opera. Also renowned for her work as a filmmaker and an actress, whose credits include the innovative 2006 film about sex and sexuality, Short Bus, Lee has maintained an active musical practice since she was a teenager. Along with her partner, friend, and accomplished musician and film score artist Adam Litowitz, Lee released an album called Juge in 2015, and the pair began working on a follow-up in recent years. Sadly, after battling depression, Lidovitz committed suicide in June of 2019, leaving Lee devastated but resolute in her belief that their work in progress must be completed. And so we have this gift. On April 9th, 2021, Mint Records will release Juge 2, and Sukyun and I reconnected for a conversation about Adam and their lives together, her upbringing, Chinese heritage, and intergenerational family trauma, how she got into making art and into broadcasting the freedom of expression she had at much music, the sound and character of Juge 2, future plans, and more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, and friendly staff. Who will happily help you source special orders for hard to find titles, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca. And Massey Hall's concert film series, live at masseyhall.com, where you can stream dozens of 30 minute films for free, including performances by past and recent podcast guests like Tanya Tagak. Plus, in kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Grandad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 606th episode of Creative Control featuring the multi-talented Sukyan Lee, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Sukhyn,
3: how are you? I'm very well, Vish. So nice to see you, or actually, I can't see you, but speak with you after <laughs> after a long time.
2: It's nice to talk to you again. Yeah, we, we were seeing each other for a moment when we had the video on, and now it's gone, but I can hear you, and you sound good, and you look good moments ago, so it is very nice to see you. Where in the world are you today?
3: Well, I'm in my house, where I've been sequestered for over a year. It's pretty ripe in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm, I'm used to it. Have you ever seen the, the movie? Um, there's a movie called uh, Woman of the Dunes. It's a, a classic Japanese film, black and white, and it takes place uh, in, in, the, in an enclave of desert dwellers who live under the surface of the earth in sand dunes. And the whole movie takes place in the subterranean home of this one woman in a sand dune. Oh. So it's kind of been, my, my life has been a bit Woman of the Dunes over here.
2: Well, is that good i I've not seen the film, so I don't know how it ends up. does it end badly
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of, well both I mean you know there's liberation and and also incarceration so you know life cuts both ways
2: yes, I think that's true generally even if you're not in a pandemic so uh yeah uh you're you're you are from British Columbia originally is that correct
3: I am yeah i gr- I grew up in well i'm I'm originally from Lynn Valley um, at the foot of the big Rocky Mountains in North Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And then I grew up, I moved to Vancouver as a teenager and grew up there. And then I moved to Toronto for my first job when I, when I got the gig as a VJ.
2: Right. Okay. And that's where you are still to this day. You're in Toronto?
3: I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm in Toronto.
2: Yeah. So how have things been? Uh, you've described it briefly in terms of your self-inflicted uh, lockdown incarceration, as you put it, I believe. Uh, how how have things been for you overall this past year? I've talked to, I, I ask this question all the time. I've gotten some very interesting answers. Uh, for some, it has been uh, an interestingly reflective period, you know, a, a stop, pausing, thinking about things kind of time. For others, it's really frustrating and can't wait to get back to normal. How would you characterize your own uh, emotional Response to what we've all been going through.
3: Yeah, I well, you know, it's it's such a, an interesting question, and these days I I can really only respond to it um, from moment to moment because everything's been very very intense these last few years. Uh, there's been tremendous upheaval and difficulty, and then moments of incredible beauty and, and joy. So I mean, and everything in between, boredom and and and, and ridiculousness and fun times. Yeah. Uh, at this moment, I'm really happy to be to be here talking with you. So it's really hard for me to even, even to say what it's been like, but, you know, in this moment, speaking with you, Vish, <laughs> is fantastic. Okay, um, that's good. <laughs> I mean, I think that uh, uh, it's been a dynamic time, a really dynamic time. Uh, it's been, uh, well, one thing is I'm really used to I was just raised in a way that really promoted a lot of internal interior mindedness. Mm-hmm. I come mm-hmm. from a family of introverts. You know, I, I phone up my pops and I'm like, hey, dad, how how's it going? He's like, oh, it's the same.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I,
3: I spend a lot of time myself. Like he wakes up and dances and yeah. he, you know, uh, does his putters around and does his gardening and, and stuff like that. He's like, you know me. I just like know how. to. So it's very, very simple. to to be sequestered and and I'm also a writer. Writers know what it's like to spend hours and hours on their butt by themselves. Yeah. So I've always had to like kind of make my own fun in an interior world. And and I tend to tend to be a homebody. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, I mean this uh, this entire time is, I mean it's been so, so very, very interesting in terms of having to create and carve a space out in this very strange time. Meanwhile, World events, volatility of world events, going all all around us, and then trying to find a space where you can kind of be be okay with your own brain. A yeah. lot of people have a hard time being with their brain because, like, you know, to look at yourself in that way is can be sometimes troubling. But by and large, I feel. I mean, the events of the last few years have been very challenging. I, I lost my partner
0: mm-hmm.
3: and my best friend, and my partner in mischief-making and art-making, Adam Lidovitz. We were together for 12 years. Hmm. Um, he died, and that was my own personal kind of devastating moment and, you know, it continues to be. It's, it's very difficult to live in the absence in a world without Adam in it. I mean, I still feel him in a lot of ways, of which I'm unable to really aptly describe, but just being getting used to his non-physical presence here, is challenging although I say that right now and, and he there is a photo of him on the wall hmm. staring directly at me so I I feel him always in some in some way but when the pandemic hit you know I, I really felt like wow you know compared to, to the experience of, uh, of losing Adam this this pandemic is a cakewalk
0: hmm.
3: it's uh, very I, w- I felt that uh, it had psychologically prepared me for like I had already hit the worst. And life could possibly get even worse than that, but at least I kind of had, um, adjust an adjustment. And so, you know, I think as an artist, I, I do feel part of my job is to reflect, of course, my own experience, but the world around and this time of of global lockdown and and all of the, the, all of the things that are happening is just so incredibly, uh, interesting Hmm. and inspiring. So, this last year has been very fruitful in terms of productivity and creati- creativity. I've been inspired to make a feature movie in lockdown. It's called Death and Sickness. Mm-hmm. And it was a sort of uh, uh, auto fiction derived from real life, derived from my, my relationship with Adam, losing Adam, the pandemic falling upon us. Um, being thrust into a very unusual situation, deciding to lock down with my friend who I just met, who was virtually a stranger, Dylan Gamble, Hmm. at that point. And together, the two of us made this very um, experimental, funny and sad, heartbreaking and surreal and wonderful film. And it was just the two of us that made it together. We did sound, edited, acted, the whole thing. Hmm. Um, And then I was able to get CGM to license it and then so th- i was able to ha- share that with people and then now working on the album that adam and i began and almost completed we had eight eight of the 11 songs done it was very clear to me we were very very proud of this album and excited about the work we were doing and it was very clear that i would i would finish it and release it hmm. um and so that's uh that's coming out too so you know in, in a lot of ways uh not only did this pandemic give me a space to consider and work with this world without Adam in, you know, a physical presence and also sort of consider what it is in the world right now, because really, I really felt that what I was experiencing was a microcosm of the loss that so many people are feeling right now. Yeah, You know, loss of our world as we knew it, loss of, um, some of our, our loved ones, loss of our well-being and health. Um, there's so many losses, and and yeah. then some some small gains as well.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to extend my condolences to you. I mean, this isn't quite in person, but I I think I probably did what a lot of people did and extended them to you at the time via social media. But I do want to say that I uh, I'm sorry. I I actually have a fond recollection of running into you and Adam uh in kensington market once just randomly and it was just i sat down with you for a little bit i don't know what i was doing but yeah i um i did feel badly for you uh and uh, i appreciate that you were able to overcome that on some level you know and make things uh and i want to talk more about adam and these uh the new juge is it is it am i pronouncing uh, this word correctly
3: <laughs> everybody <laughs> always asks you know you know Adam and I love words. He especially was a man of words. Hmm. I mean, he he was writing words like his dad put fridge magnets um, on the fridge. And he was like less than two when his dad noticed he was he was putting those little toy fridge magnets in word formation. So his mother was poet Malka Lidovitz, very beloved poet Hmm. um, based in Toronto. She is also passed. And so Adam inherited this incredible gift for words, and so when we came up with our name, J O O J, it was we were not attached to the way uh, people pronounced it, but mm. we loved the way the words looked on the page, and so we never prescribed how it how it was to sound. We were delighted in all the variations that people would say 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 the name. A lot of people say Juge, a lot of people say Juge. Some say I was Juge. just talking with. They, yeah.
2: they add a little oomph to it a little French they, they, parisian yes. kind of juge okay interesting
3: and I think that's a French word as some sort is it's it's a funny word that's like oh give it some juge. <laughs> um it's sort of like a kind of like, as I understand I think some somebody who is like in artistic circles and said yeah it's kind of um an attitude like kind of like a uh, it's not like je ne sais quoi but it's almost like it's a very specific thing where it's kind of like you're precocious yeah as a precociousness right and then some some people say joe oj or joj
2: <laughs> really huh?
3: and uh you know but I, I i personally love to see especially in either all caps or small caps the symmetry there yes and it really yeah. felt like an echo of adam and i yeah. and secretly i would think it was an acron- an, an acronym for joy of our joys joy of our joys, but I would, you know, I think, I think Adam probably would be like, that's super sucky. sucky."
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I say, I do want to talk about your music with Adam uh, in a moment, but you invoked uh, a number of things there, uh, including dynamism, I suppose we'll call it. You are known as a broadcaster, a musician, you're an actor, you're a filmmaker, uh, an artist, visual artist. You mentioned uh, that you're writing more, and i th- and you also mentioned that you're kind of introspective or at least you occupy uh, a lot of your time is occupied in your interior mind and i wonder how all of that sort of works together to be what we call what a multi hyphenate or whatever you do so many things and yet you're kind of describing yourself as a self-contained self-sufficient person so i just kind of want to home mm. in on that a little bit this notion yeah. of you being kind of you know private and and used to doing things on your own by yourself but at the same time you extend into all of these artistic communities it's like you're reaching out and trying to connect to as many people as possible am i on to something with that what do you make of that i
3: I really i really love that that's what you've sort of honed in on um the uh so i think it's paradoxical very paradoxical i mean um, it's really I, I understand life and progressively more so is oftentimes paradoxical. We're, you know, we're living in a, a, ty- a type of social media era where it's very easy to um, express oneself in a slogan in a kind of like um, uh, make a singular assertion, yeah, you know, yeah. and and um, unfortunately, I mean, I just don't see, that doesn't really jive with my world. Um, as soon as I make a singular assertion, the equal and opposite makes itself apparent as well, and I, I, I it draws my attention equally, yeah. as well as all the sort of gray stuff in the middle. So, you know, a lot of people, they assume that I am very extroverted because, you know, they have seen my work or they know me as a communicator, and I think fundamentally I am both. You know, I think as a as a child born as most children are, we are uh, playful and engaged and speak very uh, directly. Children seem to do that. Yeah. Um and I was very very expressive of putting on big shows for my neighbors and stuff like that. But then, you know, there came a time where it was, I all of that shut down, you know, and that probably coincided with being a tween or a teen where, you know, uh, suddenly feeling like I, I wasn't sure of my who I was or all of my perspectives or where I stand or I, I felt dumb, you know. And so shut up. I, I you know, became very, very shy. So yeah. that is also a big part of me as well. Yeah. And that all coincided with the kind of like inner turmoil within my family. I'm first generation Chinese Canadian. And we grew up, I grew up, my sisters and I grew up in a very kind of working middle class Uh, a suburb that was mostly white so feeling not only a sort of uh alienation uh culturally from you know my my chinese i you know i don't feel china chinese i don't feel hong kong chinese i I don't feel canadian Mm,
0: Um, yeah yeah
3: you know the tin flute never really made sense to me I, i don't like there's a lot of cultural monikers that are very quintessentially, you know, quote unquote Canadian that t- totally, I, did, I didn't really know where I fit. So of course that made it even more feeling, uh, feelings of isolation. And my family was very strict. So, you know, a lot of time was spent inside or watching TV or just with my sisters or me just wandering around by myself in the woods, you know? Yeah. And so couple that with, I beginning to start to see it. And it's only been on the last Five years or so, as um, a kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm an extension of uh, intergenerational trauma. Uh, both of my parents come from in- incredibly extreme situations. My father, an orphan growing up in Toronto, mm. his parents and his brothers died during, during war. Uh, his brother died in incarceration mm. um, during wartime. Uh, my mom growing up in the Cultural Revolution, you know, both of my parents, you know, people talk about They talk about family trees or returning to ancestral homes. I do not come from that lineage. My family does not know where they're from. My father only recollects um, through the memories of an orphan. So we don't have this kind of family tree that we can look at. Mm. Um, We only have the memories of my dad as a child, which are incredible. And so, you know, growing up in, I mean, it's amazing to see that my father and I and my mother and I, you know, in one generation, here I am speaking with you today, and and my life is greatly improved. At the same time, I grew up in a very volatile situation where there was a lot of violence and mental unwellness in my home. And I really had to kind of figure it out. I ended up running away when I was 15. Uh, My younger sister as well ran away. So it was challenging. And I feel there was a lot of intensity in that space, Hmm. in that home front. And I think of much of my communication, I really had to strive to understand what was going on, especially with regards to my mom, who is a very volatile and irrational person. And I had to try to understand, because she was my mother and my greatest love and my greatest perpetrator. So, you know, from a young age, I've just been using an inquiring mind to try to understand what that was and i think when i discovered art and my first real form well i was you know even as a teenager when i left home i was always forbidden to do art it was like you were going to be a doctor or a lawyer this <laughs> is uh,
2: this is all resonating with me i don't have the volatility and luckily but all of yeah. this is resonating with me being born to, uh, you know, first-generation Canadian being born to immigrants from India. Yes. It sounds like you have a... And very much, uh, you know, live a practical life. Don't stick out, you know, conform. Do conventional things. Like, that's how I was raised, too. So... I don't mean yeah. to interject but I I think this is an immigration experience or well,
3: I, I think so yeah. you know I so that idea of like seeing it in the lens of intergenerational trauma it wasn't just exclusive like uh, we are these strifes and struggles are passed down uh, genetically yeah. you know and not in through experience and also our socialization how we are raised and so I see that in in so many people in immigrants you see it in the um, you know uh, the Jewish experience, the Palestinian experience, all people who have struggled. Well, I, I, and, and, I, and that's mostly I, yeah. everybody.
2: Yeah, and I do think, like I brought this up on the show with other people before, if you actually stop and think about immigration, it's very wild. Like the notion that you would move away from your parents across the world to a place you've never been to to make a life for yourself I've not ever really spoken to my parents about this. It came up like at a dinner once when I was a kid. Like, why did you move from India to Canada? Hmm. And they, the simple answer I got, and by the way, this followed them trumpeting India as the greatest country in the world. Like, oh my goodness, yeah. nothing is better. We have such pride. You have to have pride in being Indian. I'm like, but you moved away from it. How good could it be? Why did you move? And my mom just said, after a pause, to live a better life and you're like, okay, so what, so what I, I've never really gotten into why, like, if you think about it, why do people move? Like, they're kind of, they're trying to do, find something, but they're also probably trying to get away from something, and I'll never, maybe ever know what drove my dad to move, like, to, to go to Canada, and then my mom came with him, you know, and, and you're just like, what, how, can you imagine that, like, explaining that to someone now, like, as an adult, like, I mean, yeah, sorry, in our case, yeah, no, it's, for sure. it's, it's there's trauma there, I think there must be something traumatic there, but and you sound like you you've gotten to that a little bit, like you've you've got some yeah, information I mean, when
3: when you say that, yeah, I mean, I think our all of our families come here and seek seeking opportunity, you know, in terms of my own um cultural history, you know uh, a lot of people from China ended up coming to Golden Mountain to work on the railroad, mm-hmm. thinking that it was a land of opportunity. Of course, they were subjugated and exploited, and many yeah. died working yeah. on the railway, and were not even thanked or invited to the opening of the railway of which they built. Yeah, you know, and, and were se- separated yeah. from their families after that by the head tax. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 you know, you go thinking, "Oh shit," you know, this this is hard here. I'm going to go over there because it's going to be great. And, um, you know, in in my family's case, it was great. Like this, I I, look, I have so many opportunities. And yet what happens is also like my father, similar to your your family, you know, now he's like, he really is so loving of China. And it's funny because he was even, he's a part of diaspora in that he was not born in China. He was raised in Hong Kong during the British rule. But because he was separated from his country and he doesn't even know that relationship, there's a, a wish to return, just like salmon going home to spawn. Yeah, and he really um, he is also very quick to recognize the incredible racism that has occurred, um, and and is will only ever support China as yeah. uh, you know. And I'll try to bring up you know various rights abuses and so forth, and he'll acknowledge them, but he'll say, but you know he still has a heart for his homeland of which he doesn't even know, and which I think beats even stronger because you are uprooted and removed. So, I mean, all of these, all of these things and, you know, and yeah. then his side was the very, his orphan side was the sort of really well adjusted side of the family. My mom's story of struggle and uh, difficulty uh, as a young person uh, stuck into mental health institutions that were really scary at that point hmm. in in, in, at time in North America uh, butchery one would say yeah. and, and surviving that as a young person and coming out really not well from that system and then raising kids in isolation um, There is, I understand why she was full of anger and rage and turned on her children I understand it It doesn't feel good and it doesn't make sense and it fostered all kinds of weird stuff in me but getting back to that question of the multi Yeah, I mean I think that All of those questions about humanity, the core question of how could my mom, who is my greatest love and my greatest perpetrator, how can that be, you know, and that extends to everything, everything in the world. So I think that as a young person, art saved my life. I was very, very shy. Um, when I left home, I started to make videos, films, enter contests, playwriting contests. I suddenly was able to express all this stuff, questions in my head in art. And I was able to get many opportunities to, I, I was a constant like contest entry person. Right. And that's how I got my first movie made for the, through the NFB, my first playwright. You know, I entered a young playwrights competition and won and got my play produced by a local Toronto or Vancouver theater company. And just all this kind of thing, you know, I, I also, I left home and my, my extended family were musicians. And so I grew up in a time in Vancouver where that was great. I mean, it was um, a very dynamic mix of like punks and choreographers and dancers and poets. Yeah and filmmakers and visual artists all combining and working on each other's projects and that was at a time where there were no clubs you know if you wanted to put on a show you rented the ukrainian hall
0: mm-hmm. you know or the mm-hmm.
3: japanese hall yeah and put on this big show and like it was a very political climate very activistically minded very creative and I grew up in Chinatown. Uh, I was embraced by a queer community, a lesbian community who were my sisters and my, my parents. And I ended up uh, being able to form a band. Bob's Your Uncle was yeah. my first band. I was still a teenager. Yeah. And all those those people I met through the scene who were also freaks, who were also separated from their families, and they became my extended family. And so I did find that, you know, making making work, communicating through these forms is just a kind of like ruminating over the human condition and also expression. Music allowed me to express a lot of joy, a lot of um, ac- anger. You know, a-, a lot of those early songs were very, very didactic yeah. and very like a-, a teenager wondering what it is. Like my first song was, it was about, you know, a kid having to hide in the closet, be in the closet. It was a coming out, a coming out song called "Closet Door." Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would yeah. uh, sing a lot about like political situations. There was—I I look back and it's pretty cute. You know, I, I saw an interview online where I, I'm a teenager and I'm being interviewed, and I—I I, I seem so so thoughtful and trying to choose my words and stuff like that. But uh, you know, there—I I look at those performances, and they were full of like super didactic words. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, 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 sung atonally and screamed mostly. Yeah. Yeah, And so, so I think all of these, and I even, you know, we knew each other at CDC. Yeah. I I consider my broadcasting work, one of the colors in my palette, you know, uh, it's it's an art, art, it's a discipline. It's an art practice.
2: Yeah. Like I first encountered you, uh, I think I first encountered you seeing videos by Bob's, your uncle. Is that possible? I feel like that's the case. Yeah.
3: This is all pre-internet. So if you saw it, I, that's great. I don't even have copies.
2: No, I saw it on on Much and I don't remember if it was before you arrived there. I watched much music uh, I guess religiously is a word you could use. Like I downstairs since we moved to Alberta, like I have all these VHS tapes oh, wow. that came with me and like I've have, I've have so much of of Much music just recorded. I would record it if bands I loved were, you know, you hosted the Wedge. You are, you stuck out to me as a really excellent and uh, forward-thinking personality. I always appreciated you on there, and I also like as you're speaking. I wonder if the intensity and volatility of your upbringing has pushed you to extremes to some extent. Like we talked about the dynamism, and I do think that perhaps in feeling insecure—not in an emotional sense, but like having a life that is volatile. I, I ponder this sometimes myself. Do I try to do as many things as I can within the cultural realm in case one of them blows a tire and gives out? <laughs> like that way, like I'm a filmmaker, I'm a musician, uh, I'm an actor, I'm a visual artist, I'm a broadcaster, I'm a writer. I can do those things and teach myself to do those things, which is a, a form of self reliance. But if, like, uh, so many industries right now, like imagine we added restaurateur. To, to that list and that had to go away because there was a pandemic. You've set yourself up to be so self-reliant by by entering all these realms that I feel again, I'm talking about this maybe in a practical manner. I'm sure this wasn't your motivation. It's not mine to do as many things as I can either, but when I think about it, if one of the things I I know how to do stopped, I know I can do a few other things. Does that give you any security in life to know that like, okay, if all else fails, I know I can do these other things. Like, does that help you in some way?
3: No, not at all. I think being an artist is entirely precarious. (laughs) Yes. Like everything like I've never, um, you know, if I really wanted to make money, I probably would get a practical thing like learn
2: plumbing. Um, Just like our parents told us to. Like, that's part of where I'm coming from with it. Like our parents drilled. I don't know. It sounds like you had the same experience. They drilled that into my head. You know, do something practical. Even when I went and got an English degree halfway through, my mom was like, Perhaps you could be a dentist? I'm like, No, no, I'm not. I'm just, that's not my interest. I need to do something fulfilling. But then during the low points, career wise, you know, vocationally, I'm like, Ah, shit. I probably should have listened to them. Do you ever have that? Like in- No, not at all. Oh, okay. um,
3: so, uh, yeah, I, I think um, to answer to your question, yeah. I uh, was a child uh, who played a lot. Um, you know, I made music with my neighbor, Julie, my best friend. I put on plays, put on performances. Um, I, I, I had incredibly, Julie and I would meet in the basement yeah. and have like ongoing days and days of us living in alternative reality. We were 17-year-olds living in the city, sharing an apartment. So we would have this, and and that life was equal to our own life. It was like like almost like we're living quantum realities. Um, So play was super, super important to me as a child.
2: Like theatrical play, you mean, kind of?
3: No, just the act of playing. Just
2: playing, okay. Okay. Just
3: playing. And that's the thing is uh, Adam and I were great, great uh, playmates. Yeah. He's like my twin flame and the person who would drop things in a heartbeat to play with me. <laughs> right? Way that people forget. <laughs> yeah. Children know that yeah. people forget. Yeah. And so um I think making stuff is an extension to that. I do have an incredible force to communicate and also ponder and share and these things take different forms. Yeah. And I am very interested, I think I'm a storyteller and a communicator. And each of the forums offers different parameters. And each of those forums influences the other. So when I started doing radio, writing my scripts for what I would say greatly helped my screenwriting capabilities. Right. My my, my dialogue yeah, writing. Yeah. You know, writing a set list as a musician has everything to do with editing. Has everything to do with understanding arc of story. Yeah. Because you know, it may seem like 12 disparate songs, but you can bet who that musician who is writing a good set list will have an arc and you will feel a kind of arc of the story through those things. So I'm, I'm very interested in, you know, the capacity of each medium. And one of those, I I'm reminded of when I was going to school, they would ask you to answer all these questions and then spit out what you should do with your career. And invariably it would be something that I really didn't want to do. And it freaked me out. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not really a person. Most people can kind of very focus on one thing and do it well. I'm a kind of person that really loves many forms. Um, I feel myself a perpetual student. And, you know, I've not gone to school for any of these forms. I've not gone to broadcasting or, yeah. or art school. Yeah. But in life, just applied myself and learned about them. And each of these forms offers something uh different as well
2: yeah in terms of um
3: you know this idea of practicality i'm I'm thinking about brian de palma the filmmaker Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i I had the opportunity to study under him for a short while oh and he he always said you know in the the world of movie making don't put all your eggs in one basket because you never know what's going to heat up so you have a, a bunch of a bunch of projects on the go because you don't know which one's going to take off. Right. In that regard, it's helpful to have, you know, I, I, I pretty much grew up thinking I had no practical skills, you know, and then I was like, oh, my God, I got this job. This is awesome. Yeah. And I still felt like, you know, I still feel I have no practical skills. These are very specific things. I
2: feel like we're meant to think that when we're in the arts and it's really dispiriting that we fall for that like that I you know we kind of feel like I still sometimes think I fell ass backwards into that CBC work but then when I think about it well no somebody's people see things in us that we don't see they see talent they see skill and that's just the way it is sometimes I don't know if it's Canadian humility or what but I I do think people see things in us that we don't necessarily think about we're we're too modest to talk about
3: I think we do learn skills of which we're unaware of at the time like I, I mean I see these uh, funny lists that are like careers you should not be going into right now yeah, yeah. you know and I'm like check 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 broadcaster yeah <laughs> You know, artist, musician, they're looking at all the things that are sort of decl- in decline. You know, this, that's what I do. At the same time, we do have gifts of communication. Uh, I think I have skills around, you know, I, it's been interesting during the pandemic. I've been, uh, people have reached out to me to, you know, interview people. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah. You, various, various panels.
2: You of- get asked to do, I get asked to do panels sometimes. There's so just like lots of panels and And interviewing others for other things other than, you know, my own pursuits. Do you get that?
3: Yeah, I I get that. You know, the the thing with me is, um, my skill set is very specific. I'm a terrible, you know, put me in front of the camera. I'm great if I can come up with my own stuff. But yeah, you know, I can't read teleprompter. For some reason, it it just taps into – there's a warm-up in my my brain. I I can't read teleprompter. I sound wooden.
2: Well, this is what I want to – I can't read somebody else's uh, work. I want to ask – yeah, you are an – you're like me in that regard too. I'm a a less successful version of you. But we have (laughs) – That's not true. (laughs) We have uh, an independent spirit and we need to do things a little bit on our own. I know that about ourselves. And I don't want to dwell on this too much, but the much music thing – I have said this to other people over the last few years – I feel like the rawness and freedom of much music is something that anticipated a little bit of the way people express themselves on the internet now. And yes, I, I'm sure. I'm sure you must have you know a balance of feelings about your time at much. But did that feel like, were you ever there thinking like, I can't believe they're letting us do this? Like, Did you have those moments or were there parameters we didn't see? Because it did feel very freeform. I know this also from working at CBC. There were things... When I first got there, I was in a place where we could do whatever we wanted and experiment. And then it shifted a little bit into like, no, we don't do that. You have to do this. And I'm sure you've had that in both those environments as well. But just sticking with much, did that, do you view that as something, I don't want to use the word revolutionary, but I feel like it anticipated things that were all. Yes. You feel that way? Okay.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, it was um, unscripted television. Yeah. It was kind of like a a microcosm of chaos you know i i had been doing my work as an artist music and and stuff and films and then i got this this opportunity um mosesheimer saw my work and offered me the job and and really i didn't know very much about much music and hmm. city tv at the time yeah and i thought oh this is a great thing because you know I, I, everybody wants to leave their hometown at some point yeah and i was like this could this could be cool you know i when i when i left home it I was living in, 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 in poverty. Um, and you know, I, the one thing was I I couldn't afford a TV, nor did I want to watch a TV. You know, I was way more interested in, in the life of my friends and and my, my own, you know, making art and being part of the very, very neat art community in Vancouver. So uh, it was very different from my childhood where I was legitimately a a TV addict. Mm. I I learned so much from television. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, at, at that point, I was wondering, gosh, you know, what can I express? What can I express in this very mainstream art form? You know, I I took the gig because I thought, well, this is one bastion I have not yet explored. What can I communicate in this medium? And I I took that job. I told Moses that I'm not a model, clearly. Yeah. And I can't read other people's words. And he was a guy who was just very innovative. He's like, that's not what I want. I want you yeah, I want yeah. You to do Again, what you do someone seeing and,
2: something in you that maybe you're not you're you're only aware of an ember of it and they see something uh, I, yeah. I yeah yeah
3: and he was a he was a kind of guy who is like very much a Marshall McLuhan esque type person yes like the medium is the message yeah. and he loved the idea of breaking down the walls of the studio going free form um, it made him uh, you know he would he would hire or, or, or find interesting people Uh, with the, you know, that intrigued him, throw them on air. And he loved to see them sink because his idea was like, you know, uh, people will watch you sink, but they'll also watch you learn to swim. And in doing so, you know, grow to love you and become endeared to you. And so there were infinite hours of me just trying to kind of, you know, occupy, you know, fill space. And I would do that in the spirit of a performance artist.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, So i do all
3: kinds of weird experiments, you know. The, the building was wired for, for be, to be televised, both across the street, cameras pivoted at the building. I would do strange things like social experiments where I would lie down in the middle of, you know, rush hour on the sidewalk as if I had collapsed to see what would happen and invariably... People walked over me.
2: Yeah. Well, it's Toronto. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And just all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I, I, you know, I was able to make a TV show called Eyeball Theater.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
3: I just sort of like grabbed a camera and and did this sort of very personal diary, um, video diary. Right. Um, which, uh, yeah, you're right. The sort of uh, unscripted live TV was a predecessor of what so many people are doing online right now. That's what
2: I see all the time. And I really like that's within me. Like much is when much was really firing on. Like there's people who are listening now who might be like that channel that I never watch or that only yeah. plays whatever. But like I don't think people recognize just how magical it was and like I would just watch it for hours like just like I couldn't it was so interesting and fascinating and the access you had to artists, obviously, uh, uh, not just you, but the network—like it was f- totally fascinating. And well,
3: they they let people uh, free, you know, so yeah. you could see there would be an incredibly uh, a different variety of styles of interview because each of the VJs were really pretty much it's up to them the questions they ask. <laughs>
0: yeah, so you weren't
3: you, there was no <laughs> teaching. Like you go to CBC and they have all these people coming in to teach you. Yeah, there right. no teaching. It much music. It yeah. was just like you go and do it. But it worked. It worked. It it, it worked because it was like you felt the freedom and it was exciting because you weren't sure what would happen next. I mean, people still stop me on the street. They recognize me and they say stuff like, oh, yeah, I still remember when you showed us how to relieve trapped gas. (laughs) You know, I had I had trapped gas, and I, you know, in our family, you know, stick your bum in the air because hot air rises, and, you, and then you can fart your trapped gas out. And I'm like, oh my god, I man, did I ever have a lot of time to fill? Well, you, you, know, you but,
2: as I recall, you might have mooned us on your final broadcast day.
3: I, I did. I, you know, like I, I, I quit during a time when it, there was a lot of manufactured boy bands and yes. a lot of manufactured music, and then it was like you know, interviewing the same bands three, four times was getting very dull. Yeah. I, you know, nine eleven happened. And also I felt that I was um, perpetually distracted with ADD, you know, every, yeah. every work environment comes with its own, you know, after effects, but yeah. this sort of un- indomitable pop cultural machine and having TVs blasting all the time. I mean, I did, I seem to not be able to hold my attention. So I, I knew it was time for me to leave, right. but on the spur of the moment, when I announced it, I decided to moon the camera, <laughs> and uh, and I convinced Rick the attempt to do that with me as well. That's right,
2: Yes, that's um, right.
3: And then, in retrospect, um, I, I looked at it and it was like more than a moon. Yes, like way it, more than a. moon.
2: <laughs> it ended up being more than a moon. That's a that's a fair way of characterizing it for sure. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was a great run you had there and your CBC run. Was also very innovative and interesting. Um, I mean,
3: th- that was. Th- I mean, I took a l- little time off to kind of like get my brain back after much music, and then I got the job at CBC. Yeah. But what you're talking about when you first were working there, it, it felt free. Yes. I do believe I forget the name of it, but it was like very innovative. CBC uh, Radio uh, Radio Two, I think, had a kind of digital videos um, and 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 very free. Uh, exploration of music.
2: CBC Radio Three was where I worked. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there yeah. was
3: there was one uh, there was a name of it where it was just like okay because the guy who worked with me at Much Music went to CBC right Steve and he started this other kind of like style this portal where it was a free for all of very interesting stuff and it was very very popular. It People was good. Loved it.
2: We liked. But then yeah.
3: it, then they I don't know what happened. Then the power infrastructure, who knows what? Oh, this is a good thing. Let's let's
2: change it. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a popular thing. I will say that. I think it was a good thing and we all enjoyed it. And but I don't think it was as popular (laughs) as they wanted it to be. And but I I viewed it as, you know, I got to have breakfast with no means no. Who didn't do stuff like that? And they were like, yeah, we'll talk to you. And it was great. Like I had a show where I just had breakfast with people and recorded it and then made it into a radio show and they let me do it. And, you know, some of my friends were like, no means no is doing that. Like just certain (laughs) artists would do it. And they were like, how is this even possible? I'm like, I don't know. And so there was a wackiness to it and a fun part of it. And, uh, and then it shifted and it is what it is. I don't really pay attention to what's happening there now to a great extent, but I, you know, I wish everyone well, but it was fun. And it also, I wrote a you know a a radio play for christmas time and so there was just this ability to do theater and experiment and try to have fun and do comedy and music and books and i appreciate that so i think on that level i relate to you and as i was listening to juge too and also uh, the first record which i will call juge just to change it up (laughs) i was fascinated by your voice um you have uh these amazing voices. Like, every song has its own kind of character, it feels like to me. Can you talk about your singing voice on this project and and how you worked with Adam to make these records? Because, I don't know, I like, on one point, you sound like Diamanda Gallas. On another, it's like a more classic, you know, singing voice. I don't want to cite anyone particularly. (laughs) But, like, I'm just from a Nick Cave sometimes. Like, there's just so many different influences that I pick up on that I don't even know if you... Like them necessarily, but I hear like I'm like, is this still my wife? I had the first record on upstairs. And she's like, w- this is Sukin? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's the same. Remember, I was playing Juge two in the kitchen. She's like, it's the same. Wow, I didn't know she knows you. Obviously, everyone, everyone in Canada knows you for crying out loud. <laughs> but she was like, I can't believe this is her. And I feel like people will be listening and and pick up on that. Like, who is this the same voice?
3: Well, I mean, that's the funny thing is like a lot of people either. They Know me from CBC or Short Bus, right?
2: You're this is the for those who don't know, Short Bus was a, a film you made, and uh, it was, it is, I, I suppose, uh, infamous, controversial. There is, uh, some sexuality, shall we say, more than a yeah. moon, more than a moon. Can we say more that? More than a moon, yeah. much more than a moon,
3: much more than a moon. Um, yeah, it was like a very groundbreaking LGBTQ. Uh, comedy drama yes and yeah i I mean um very very well well beloved movie
0: Mm -hmm.
3: um and a lot of people know me from Hedwig and the angry inch i made two movies with john cameron mitchell Mm -hmm. the filmmaker Mm -hmm. the american filmmaker and short bus so they know me from cdc or short bus or much music little do they know i mean many people i mean but more on the underground tip would know me that my primary begin my beginning beginning communication was with Bob around yeah was as a musician in yeah. in bank in vancouver's underground yeah and uh you know uh, i think people are surprised like, they're like what i didn't know you do music didn't you do
2: you that, Did some work that, you did that was some, the core yeah that was the
3: that's the beginning of which all of this all of this comes from
2: you did some work with dale morningstar too yes is that right? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've worked with Dale for yeah. we're very good friends. I've worked with Bill
3: Frizzell. I've I've worked with John Zorn. I've worked. Oh, wow. I've yeah. do, done plunderphonics with John Oswalds and David Prentice and worked with CCMC in improvisational music contexts. Michael Snow. I do solo work. I score all my movies. So, in behind all this stuff, it's kind of like little known like little known <laughs> that people know this, and so I think people will will be quite surprised yeah some
2: people yeah some
3: people are like oh yeah no i still i i they they know me from that that realm because well, they are dial, dialed into that yeah
2: yeah um, but um but it is like a huge part it is potentially like you say that's the core everything else you yeah. know is almost an extension of that musical core is that fair
3: it is totally fair and and i was very lucky to Inside of me, I have this sort of a barometer. It's like this pitch frequency. When I sing and it's from the heart and soul and feels right, which is not all the time. Believe me, I've stared out at, at, at audiences and totally not been in the pocket and been more interested in what's going on over there in the back of the room than singing. Yeah. But but when I am able to perform and sing from my gut and inhabit that with presence and, and feeling and rootedness, there is a feeling that emanates from me. Yeah. And I apply that feeling to all of my work, to when I'm acting in a, in a movie, the take where that pitch resonates is the take that is good. It is what I strive to hit when I make a film or, or any piece of work um, if I can feel that resonant frequency, that guides me. And that's just a sort of subjective have I hit the mark or not? Yeah. And so that I, 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 I'm lucky to have that as a sort of sense and as a barometer. Yeah. But in terms of the various vocalizations, like I, I'm jettisoned back again to my childhood. I love to sing. I loved singing in the shower because of the reverb Mm -hmm. of the tiles. Mm -hmm. Um, But my best friend, Julie and I, who I've known since I was zero, we used to pretend that we were quote unquote French showgirls and we sang in onomatopoeia. We didn't know how to speak French, but we just sort of made up this language and I would um, sing as a French showgirl, stand at the top of the slide (laughs) and sing really loudly (laughs) and then slide down during which time she had, climbed to the slide made her way to the top and i would say take it away julie and then she would sing in her onomatopoeic um, other language and we'd get progressively louder and louder and louder and louder <laughs> to a point where the neighbors would phone my mom to complain and though my mom was a volatile person she knew and was wise to say fuck you to the neighbors and let us sing yeah loudly she found it really fun and yeah. funny yeah. and wonderful
2: are you still friends with julie
3: I, we've drifted apart. Oh, okay. I see her infrequently. We kind of live very, very different lives, hmm. and I do feel like um, there was a point when I moved away from home that it was almost like a clear separation was made. Oh, I I'm sorry have to, to deal that deal with that. I I have spoken with her in the last few years, but our our life courses are so vastly different. And then some, I'm I'm even slowly like there was a very big break in my family, and there's entire areas of relatives that I'm able unable to see. Oh no. Cause it's, it brings up very uh, difficult things for me. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm just so- trying
2: to, I'm sorry your interpersonal, uh, dynamics are so, uh, volatile in themselves and there's so much pain <laughs> there. I mean, this work you've done with Adam is, is really excellent. And I'm, I understand you had to carry on with this particular record, uh, kind of without him. I mean, initially because he was busy working on, uh, was it a soundtrack for a Netflix project? Yeah, Yeah, he
3: was with Anna Kabazian.
2: Right, so you went on to make things on your own. How would you characterize any of the uh, themes that we might pick up on? Like I've talked about the voices, which give uh, the, the songs a certain character, a tone, a mood but in terms of lyrics, which I believe were primarily your domain and, and your voice, how would you characterize what's going on on this sequel, if you will, to, to, to yes, you? Yes,
3: it was a very dynamic thing, and I, I should say that I didn't write all the words. Oh, so it okay. was a very ex- ex- extraordinary experience. So um, on the first album, I, I, I wrote a lot of the words, but you know up until then, as I approached songwriting, it would be you know lyrics first and then using a cudgel, trying to, you know, force those words into a melody. And, and frankly, I was tired of that approach. Mm-hmm. And Adam is a, a very, very gifted wordsmith, lover of words, primarily a creative writer. And the music that was coming out of us, we were so thrilled by, we were so excited. It was, a, it was a, quite a departure from the kind of more slower, moodier, acoustic electro sound of, of our first album, what was coming out of us was a pure and unadulterated embrace of pop music of um, much of the um, Adam and I were both uh, creating electronic um, sonic instrumental pieces.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and, and we were, he was a, a lover of pop. I, I'm lucky to have uh, inherited his Spotify account where he was he bookmarked all of his favorite albums oh nice his, his albums stretch so many genres so many time periods but at their core there is a unity that is something very very incredible and perfect perfect music beautiful music and you know he really loved pop music he was a big fan of the go-betweens and he he, he loved Roseanne cash he loved a good hook yeah and myself as well like yeah. I work in all these different different um, I, I, I I like to bring weird ideas to the mainstream. So I've never totally been into like just obscure worlds. Yeah. I like to incorporate and, and communicate within a, within mainstream mainstream is synonymous with pop hook. I also love a good pop hook and the stuff that was coming out of us was so propulsive. And, um, um, the sounds were unlike, They were like sometimes angry, very joyful, um, sad, deep, uh, but, but with oomph. And we are like, yeah! And in terms of the melody and lyrics, what would happen was uh, either Adam or I would come up with a sonic fragment. And then we made stuff on our own. You know, we had a studio. We, I have a studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I engineered the work. We make it on our own time as opposed to paying for an expensive studio where you're just looking at your time watch. Yeah. You know, we love to approach music making like a couple of gardeners. We would, you know, debate aspects of the, you know, uh, grow, add, take away, take our time. In this case with the melody, um, I decided that instead of making lyrics, I would approach first with melody first. And so Adam or I I would make a sonic fragment. I would um, loop that and it would provide a bed of of music for me to be able to play with my voice. And I approached it with melody first with a, uh, with, uh, with uh, melody first and then um, spontaneously uh, subconsciously uh, lyrics would come up.
2: Okay. okay. Um,
3: stream of consciousness words. And then again, I would use onomatopoeia going back to the French showgirls and make enunciations that would sound like words that were not words uh, that would fit into the melody. And then I would pass that to Adam. And over the last few years, he had really been honing his ability to overhear he loved to overhear conversations and snippets, fragments of conversations would um, would inspire and delight him. Weird volleys and uh, combinations of words would attract his writerly ear and he would write them down. And he had been working on a book of these overheards. And so he had been really honing that practice of listening. And I would pass him that original vocal pass of Uh, stream of consciousness words and sounds. And he would literally transcribe what he heard sometimes directly transcribing what I said, but many times often, often delightfully coming up with his own, what, you know, his own own interpretations of what he was hearing. Hmm. And he would pass that back. And it was like, Oh man, this is beautiful poetry. This is something very, very special. And then I would, with my ear, my more editorial ear, kind of craft those words and, Finesse them. I'd pass them back to Adam. He would do the same, and so much of this album bubbles up from the unconsciousness. Yeah. The we had this wordplay style. I wish we had even come up with a name for it, but we never did. But it was unlike anything we had made, and so it's very much, um, um, you know. I'm. I'm. Last night, I, I began to memorize the words. Start to rehearse the songs because I would like to. If this pandemic ends and it's safe to, I'd like to perform the songs. Yeah, but you know, these there are many, many words, and I'm starting to piece together what I interpret as subconscious meanings, and there, um, there, uh, I'm now kind of coming to know these words and and um, seeing what we were saying to each other.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which is
3: fantastic. I'm just like, what the fuck? We didn't even know this. And, you know, throughout that process, Adam and I would so often be looking at each other and go, we didn't, even, what did we just make that? <laughs> you know? Oh my God. That came out. Like we really didn't feel completely. We It felt almost like possession. Like it was moving through us. And it's quite hard to memorize all these words because these words don't necessarily make logical sense, but they make poetic sense. Right. And so memorizing them right now is, is uh, quite challenging and quite beautiful because I'm saying, Oh my God, we just mentioned Apollo. How many times over and over hmm. in so many of the songs, Apollo comes back and I'm like, who's Apollo? Well, he is the son of Zeus and and Leto, the twin brother Artemis, he is the god of healing, of medicine, archery, music, poetry, and the sun. He's he is is a god of prophecy. You know, I, I'm like, what the fuck? Because so many of these songs seem to telegraph or seem prophetic in some in some ways. Right. You know, right. with Wrecking Heart, you know, it was an, a, a, a deep dive into like a no holds barred rock song, a, a banger of a song,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
3: and and you know, a song to strut to, a song to. To run to a song to feel um, passionate and anger and, and 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 joy to and you know a- Adam when we wrote that he was like wow this sounds like a breakup song we're mm-hmm. like how could that be Gosh, we're we are so together right now this is so weird but you know so many of the things telegraph and, and reveal. Um you know Adam and I after many years of being together decided to separate romantically but we were very still very much involved in each other's lives and best friends. Um, but there is, um, you know, uh, the Reveil is about the breakup, but then also um, with a romantic breakup and, and also um, instead of um, separating, just uh, loving one another and yeah. allowing us to be, you know, Adam and I were so close, we knew that we had to sort of grow separately and hope to come together again. But there's a kind of point where, you know, we we did acknowledge the, the need to sort of be able to grow independently. Um, hmm. And so that song is about separation, but love, loving and letting go and having, having no fear. And it, it is what I have been, um, you know, challenged to do, not just in a romantic separation, but with his departure from this plane.
2: Yeah. And so,
3: you know, so many so much uh, joy in these songs that really reflects our experience. And he was so proud of these, these songs as, as am I. Um, and yet there's something beyond us that is being communicated. And I love that his essence, I can hear the kick to his step in the bass in run away with her, you know, and, and in so many, I, I do believe that I feel him, um, his presence, um, it's not like Adam was, but it's an unexplainable thing. I feel him guiding me. Um, I feel his, his uh, spirit, his energy. But I also do believe that he exists in, in those who love him, the memories of those who love him, and in his good work, yeah. which is why I, I really, it was never a, a question to me. It was just a matter, a matter of how, when can I refocus on the album, and when and how can I put it out. There was a label that put out many of my recordings last gang, yep. including our, our our first album and all of our scores, mm-hmm. our film scores. But they had been sold by Hasbro. And Chris was just like, you know, I, we're not in a position to be able to put music out right now. Hmm. I think it's best you find another place. And I, I found another really great label that were like, this is an amazing album.
2: And a, ret- yes, and a return, return home to your British Columbia roots, no no less.
3: Well, I mean, I I approached another one in Toronto, and this was before the pandemic, and they were like, yes, we love this. But then the pandemic happened, and they were like, no, we can't. Right. So everything flatlined. I mean, it's an irony, you know, just as music is being so, you know, uh, I think of musicians as very, they have a lot of resilience, and they're very entrepreneurial. I mean, musicians are really hard hit by this. Not only is our music being got for free, yeah. Then now we can't. Now the actual singing is dangerous.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You
3: know. Uh, and and gathering, uh, but still, I, ironically, it's been such a fruitful time for me. That, you know, for all of these all of these forms, despite the fact that it's uh, even more difficult to to do in person. Um, you know this, this marks my return so I was we were we were without label yeah and I approached Randy Owada from Mint Records Mint who have been so great they were there when I was growing up in Vancouver yeah and, and Randy has been there through several generations of like DIY indie art and continues to do so very good taste tiny team Ryan, Adrian, Randy but committed beyond belief yeah and, and they're, they, in he, you know, he wrote me back and he was like, you can't, I can't, can't tell you how happy I am to receive your email. And they've just only been great.
2: Mint is the best. So I'm glad that the best. This, this has worked out. And, uh, I want to also say that I appreciate your perseverance and I appreciate that you've processed this record already on a very deep, deep level on some level. And I, uh, you know, just the prophetic nature of it and whatnot, I appreciate that you've been able to find the joy in it. Cause I do hear the joy in this and, uh, yeah. and despite the uh, very, very sad circumstances, there's joy. And I feel Adam's joy as well. It's not just your joy. I feel like this connection. So I want to, uh, what did you say it was? Joy. What did you say juge stood for?
3: Joy of our joys. <laughs> that's right.
2: And that's really, you know, I didn't I didn't mean to invoke invoke the term joy, but that is there. And I appreciate I appreciate that you can see that. Uh, despite everything that's happened to you and is happening to us. It's really uh, heartening. So thank you. I mean,
3: life is very complicated and mine, you know, I, I feel your gratitude and thanks and I, I I, I take it happily, and I also acknowledge that mine is just one story. Everyone's life is hard. We are thrust into this world, and it's not going to be easy, and our hearts will break, and we will suffer, and there are wounds, yeah. and there is joy and beauty as well in all of this, and we have this opportunity of life which is incredible and bountiful, and we we live with we 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 dance with these struggles yes and and i you know i do not feel sad for me or sorry i am my byproduct of my life and i do believe each of us is placed here yeah and i do believe on some level each of us is placed here to learn to love yeah and um you know i think i think that's a hard thing to do it's 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 so hard
2: well, I appreciate your sort of philosophical perspective on that as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to keep these things in mind, and and uh, it is hard. It, it is hard. Life is hard. We connect with people. We lose them for whatever reason, and we must keep going. So I appreciate that spirit as well. Um, I just want to let people know that uh, Juge 2 is available via Mint Records uh, on April 9th, and I believe people can learn more about it at mintrex.com. Dot com. Uh, Sookyan, if people want to follow you, keep tabs on what you're up to. Where's the best place to send them?
3: I, I, well, these days I'm mostly posting on Instagram, but I do share it to my public Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really love the sort of visual aspect of that, of that, that particular form. Yep. So they can find me at Sookyan Lee, uh, S-O-O-K-Y-I-N-L-E-E 30-E. There are three E's because and Lee with two E's was already taken. Who so t- added who? a 30.
2: There's another Sukhya... Well, I guess there might be... There's lots well, of vishkanas. Well, it's pretty much
3: like Jane yeah, in I the know. world of China yeah. and Korea. Like, right. I, my, I Jane. You know, Lee is <laughs> like... My name is pretty much Jane Smith.
2: Right, same here. That's true, actually. There's lots of vishkanas. I'm Bob Smith. So we should... <laughs> yeah. We should. I'll see you at the next family reunion, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, so people can follow you there. If we can go out on a, a song from Juge 2, I'm hoping you can pick one. And also... Let us know why you chose it. Is that something you can do?
3: Well, I would say run away with her. I really love this song. It um, encompasses the joyful and also reflective. And um, there's pathos in, in this song. There is a mm. multitude of emotional timbers, which I feel accurately reflects life. Uh, and, you know, I remember tracking this with Adam and uh, he started to play a bass line. And originally his bass line was very, very busy. And then I was like, okay. I was reminded of um, living below my aunt and she would listen to to a lot of Chinese pop music, Mm -hmm. which the bass would just thud through the floor (laughs) in a very rudimentary way. Like just the most minimal bass, boop, 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 boop. boop. Like country music. I could hear very basic bass and I love that style of bass. And so I was like, okay, Adam. Break it down to its <laughs> necessary components. Let's just hear boop, 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 boop. So he put that down, but then he came up with this really beautiful sort of um, lilting, sort of almost cure the cure style,
2: yeah, yeah, uh, riff yeah,
3: bass yeah, r- line in there, and it just with with the uh, with the beats and the electronics and the voice all come together. And I think of um, I think of Adam when I, I I you know this this song is an invitation to escape together. Um, the music video that was made by Dylan Gamble and myself reprises all the spaces that we've been walking during the pandemic. I see. You know, when we couldn't, when we couldn't be around other people, we could at least walk. And when the city, it seemed like the city was um, was empty and I came to know these very beautiful spaces yeah. and it, it depicts um, walking through beautiful spaces in the city and arrives at the end um, at Lake Ontario uh, right near Adam's Memorial Bench oh. and I, I see uh, Lake Ontario as Adam and when we arrived there and every time I go down to his Memorial Bench uh, it can be a rainy day the sun always breaks the, cloud, the the rain stops the sun comes out always when I go down there it's quite incredible Wow. and his totem animal was a duck and so the ducks always come to say hello hmm. so even when we were making this video boom the, the clouds parted and there was the most extraordinary sunset. And so I urge people to go check run away with her out on, on online. It's on YouTube. It's a, it's a beautiful song and I hear Adam's kick to his step. We, we danced a lot together um, and um, really, really love this song for, for all those, those, those reasons.
2: Wow. Well, uh, okay. Let's You're a magical person. So I appreciate this time. And I appreciate your uh, perspective on on lots of things. And, and so thank you. I'm going to play it for people now uh, from their new album, Zhuge 2. This is Sukyan Lee and Adam Litovitz with Runaway with Her. Sukyan, thank you so much. Best luck with everything. And I hope we talk soon.
3: Yeah, take good care of so, you. So great to speak with you.
2: It was very nice to catch up with and Lee again after uh, many years uh, of not uh, really uh, seeing each other that often. I used to see each other in the building at the CBC Studios there in Toronto. The building, not the studios. Actually, we did share a studio, now I think about it, for her show and the shows that I used to do. So, uh, yeah, I haven't seen her that much. It was great. Very nice. And I learned a lot. I didn't really know... Uh, a whole lot about her upbringing for instance i feel like i knew a lot about her uh, public career uh, in journalism and music but uh, yeah very revel- revelatory very open very thoughtful thank you sookin lee for being on this the 606th episode of creative control which is part of the entertainment one podcast network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. if you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter Please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on uh, Facebook if you like. Uh, You can also follow the show on Twitter, at vishcreative, or you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram directly at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. $6 or more grants you access to exclusive content, and if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt please message me on patreon and i'll get you one while supplies last thanks again to the fine alberta record retailer blackbird music which you can learn more about and play special orders at uh, via their website blackbird.ca uh, live at thank you to live at where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great canadian artists and also to Pizza Trocadero, the Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, all of those businesses are linked in the podcast episode post. Uh, so wherever you're, uh, ideally, there all be all those links will be there. So if, you're, if you didn't catch what I said about Blackbird Music or Live at Massey that's a tricky URL to remember. Live at Massey but. Uh, anyway, it's all linked there, so I hope you will uh, check out those uh, places if, you, if you're in the area or just want to learn more. Oh, thanks as always to my friend Jim Guthrie. He lends me some music for the show, and you can learn more about him and his wonderful catalog of song at jimguthrie.org. And uh, finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Sookie and Lee. Check out Juge 2 uh, via Mint Records. And uh, also, if you if you like what you heard today i never heard the show before, uh, or even if you do listen somewhat regularly, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use to keep up with it. And also, tell your friends about the show. If you think they might like it, that is, tell them about it, and hopefully they'll spread the word about it too, if they like it. That stuff all helps, and that's that's what we do in an arts community. We spread the word about things we like, I hope. Anyway, everything you do means a lot to me, so thanks again. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now.